Well, welcome to the Valley Hoops Insider Podcast, the Beat Riders edition. And today we find ourselves hanging on to and talking with Todd Golden of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, Indiana. And Todd, we set this up in advance and lo and behold, the uh, Sycamores uh, have a historic win last night, the lowest points they've ever allowed in a Missouri Valley Conference game. So we, we got lucky on the timing, but just tell us a little bit about that game. I want We want to learn more about you in just a minute, but tell us a little bit about last night's game. Yeah, it was a remarkable game. I mean, you know, we're talking about a shootout in the first, uh, you know, five minutes of the game. I, Loyola actually made six of their first eight shots. Indiana State was more or less matching them. Uh, so I'm thinking this game's going to be up in the 70s or 80s. And then all of a sudden, Loyola just was stopped cold at about the 10-minute mark of the first half. They only converted two field After the 10-minute mark of the first half, Loyola only converted eight field goals for the rest of the game. Wow. It was, it was, uh, it was good defense on Indiana State's part. They, they found a way to limit what Cameron Krautwick does, which is everything. Um, you know, he's basically a point center and uh, and obviously can score. So they were able to, to uh, cut off the head of the snake there, and then it just kind of fell into place after that. Loyola uh, just couldn't hit anything from, from the outside, and they really became three-point dependent. And uh, Indiana State, uh, which is... You know the Sycamores aren't renowned for protecting leads. They 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 have the ability to build them, and then they sometimes let them slip. But they protected that lead last night with a really good offensive performance. And uh, um, I was shocked. I, I you know I, I wasn't shocked so much by the way Indiana State played. I was really shocked by um, the way Loyola played because they had looked so dominant when I saw them two weeks earlier, and have been. You know, even in some of their losses on the road in the Valley this year, they've been close. You know, they went overtime with Northern Iowa and 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 stuff like that. But it was they just faded away, and it was uh, uncharacteristic of that team. So, um, kind of kind of a day where you know it was a perfect storm for Indiana State. Uh, Thirty-nine points is the lowest, as you mentioned, the lowest point total they've ever allowed in the Valley game, which that surprised me. Um, just a good day at Holman Center, and uh, Indiana State is playing very well right now. So we're talking with Todd Golden of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. And, Todd, first, I, we, I wanted to talk about that game briefly, but tell us about you. How did you end up being uh, becoming a journalist, a sports journalist? How did you end up at Terre Haute? Well, I, when I was growing up, I'm from um, Wisconsin. I'm from Milwaukee um, originally, and my dad um, – was college roommates with a, a gentleman by the name of Greg Hoffman, who was a veteran journalist in uh, um, in Wisconsin, covered the major sports up there. Um, so when I was a kid, he would come and hang out with my dad, and they would talk about um, you know the doings of the sports teams that I followed when I was a kid, and I thought it was really cool that uh, you know I was able to hear some inside stories that you know the public didn't know about things like that and you know I was like wow this is really neat you know to be in the know and uh, so that was that kind of kindled my interest in being a sports writer later on I showed an interest in writing and um, and all of that and decided to pursue it and uh, um, started out uh, you know, like most people did at the, at the time in the eighties when I was in school, you know, with the school newspaper and then worked my way up through college and got a part-time job and, uh, and everything kind of fell into place. And, uh, 
have been working full time now for 22, you know, 23 years this year. Geez, I'm old, but, um, <laughs> so, and, I uh, came to Indiana state, came to Terre Haute in, uh, 2004, um, to, you know, my, my idea of progression in the career was to, you know, to cover a beat of some sort, whether it was division one athletics or a pro team, uh, you know, I, that was my, ambition, and so I was able to do it here in Terre Haute and uh, it's been a good ride. I, um, this is my 16th season covering ISU and, um, you know, it's never, never boring. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting beat because, um, you know, Indiana state is when they have success, they earn the success because they don't, you know, they're not financially in the best place, even in the scope of the Valley. So, um, it creates some challenges and I, I think it kind of makes it more fun when they are successful because you know that they had to had some mountains to overcome, you know, in terms of resources and things like that. So, um, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, I continue to enjoy it and, uh, it's, it's, it's always a little bit more fun when the team is winning, but, um, but the stories are never, ne- never lack interest, whether they're winning or losing. So, um, that's kind of a nut graph of how I got into it, but, uh, I've always had a passion for sports and um, was able to pursue it as a career. Well, you do a great job there at the uh, Tribune Star, and obviously we try to read your stuff and stay up with the Sycamores. They've won 14 of their last 18. They started off 0-4, but even in those first four, they they gave Dayton and Duquesne uh, a, a rough ride. Did you see this team being this successful early on? Were you one of the early adopters? Um, before the season began, I kind of told people that I thought Indiana State could be, you know, in the scope of the Valley anyway, could be anywhere from second to eighth. You know, they, they <laughs> well, that's had, safe. <laughs> they, yeah, I know. That's really, uh, you know, that's, that's really, uh, staking my reputation <laughs> on a certain go. spot. But, uh, um, I felt like they had the existing players to be better than they have been. Um, meaning Jordan Barnes, Tyree Key, Christian Williams, um, Cooper Neese, those those players who who showed flashes last year, but you know, especially Tyree Key, but you know, it it didn't really fall together last season. So I felt like those players were a good base to build on. It was just a matter of uh, whom whom else was going to contribute. And what's happened is is uh, for the fir- really for the first time I, I've been covering Indiana State they have a legitimate front line and uh, Jake LaRavia and Trey Williams have both been, uh, you know, both been revelations. I, I think people thought LaRavia in particular was going to be good because he had a breakout season in Indianapolis's best league last year um, was uh, and, and Indiana state. He, he, he sort of fell into their lap. He originally committed to SIU Edwardsville and when his stock rose, he reopened his commitment and, and, there was some low level interest from the big 10, um, but Indiana state showed the most immediate interest and he signed on the dotted line. So I think people were excited about him, but you know, I mean, people get excited about players all the time. You never know until they actually get here. And, and he's been, uh, every, he's been as advertised, uh, you know, according to the hype he had. So, um, so when they went to Dayton and they played Dayton in their opener and, and, uh, you know, played them basically down to the last possession, Jordan Barnes, missed a three-pointer um, that would have tied the game uh, with five seconds left, eight, and ended up winning by five, I think. But um, that showed me that, okay, maybe this team has some uh, 
has some ability. And, you know, the only egg they dropped in that 0-4 start was was a game at Conseco uh, or Conseco, Bankers Life Fieldhouse uh, against Ball State. Um, <clears throat> but they showed that they had some ability. And then, of course, after that 0-4 start, they reeled off eight in a row. So um, this team, when it commits to playing defense, is pretty good. They can they can fill it up, uh, you know, on most nights. So, um, did I see them all of a sudden winning four in a row in the valley after they were inconsistent early? That I probably didn't see. So, um, it's been good that this team has been able to uh, find some inner strength, find their their inner motivation, and uh, kind of buckle down and get tough. You know, which is not a trait that this program has always had. Uh, but they have it right now, and uh, you know they've put themselves in a really good position. I want to talk about Key and Barnes and, and Nice in just a minute, but that you mentioned the young guys and Laravia had a good start to the season, but he's just really taken his game to another level during the Valley season. He's second leading rebounder in the league, the leading rebounder on the offensive end in the entire league. Tell the fans that uh, you know the people that come to our site and, and listen to this podcast. Tell us about his game. Well, first of all, he's kind of just a junkyard dog. I mean, he he just uh, he's not going to be intimidated by anybody in the league, including you know he gives up some inches to the bigger centers in the league, like Liam Robbins and uh, and uh, even Krautwig and, and and guys like that. But he almost instead of being intimidated by that, he takes it on as a challenge, and he just works hard underneath the glass. I mean, he's he's leading an offensive rebounding by a wide margin. I mean, I. I looked it up last night when I was working on down in the Valley and he's in league play. Anyway, he's up by a full rebound over second place on, on the offensive side. He has, he's averaging 4.2 a game. You know, you get 4.2 offensive rebounds a game out of anybody, you know, your, your offense is in pretty good shape. So, so he adds that trait to him and that's the thing you notice first. And then he's really skilled inside the, uh, inside 10 feet of the basket. He had a basket last night where he was, you know, posting up, then he'd put the ball on the floor, then he kind of put a spin move on, he got around one defender that way, and then, you know, just use a power move to get to the basket. He's He's got a lot of skill, and then the one thing that's made both him and Trey Williams really good is they're both pat, they, they can both pass the ball. So it's a difficult matchup for teams, even if they can outsize Indiana State, because these guys can do more than just post up. So, um Laravia's comp, if you had a Valley comp uh, of recent players, would be Nick McGlynn for Drake. He's wow. a lot like Nick McGlynn. Well, uh, that's, that's high praise right there. It is. Yeah. And, and normally I wouldn't be that way for a freshman because, you know, I'm kind of one of those old fogey types where you got to <laughs> earn it. You know, I, I, I want to see it for more than a season. But um, but I've seen enough. And, I mean, he's he has a, he has a, a really good attitude, you know, in terms of, Nobody's gonna, you know, beat me, you know, on a given night. Uh, but he also has a good attitude off the floor in terms of watching film and and learning and just getting better. So um, Indiana State hit a hit a hit a jack with him and Trey Williams, who's skilled in a completely different way than than Laravia is. Uh, he's got a really good hook shot and he's good at positioning himself under the basket. The two complement each other really well because they usually generally end up at one end of the basket or the other. So they're not getting each in each other's way. Um, so it's just great for me to watch a competent post game. I mean, I, without, I don't mean to disrespect the sycamores of the past, but it hasn't been their strength know, though. 
No, you look back at it, you think of pro teams where they've had issues with positions, like I think of the Chicago Bears who, you know, never been able to produce a franchise quarterback and Lord knows how many years. That's been the case with Indiana State and post players um, through most of their Division One history, really. Uh, they've had some exceptions. You know, Matt Wren was very good uh, back in in the Royce Waltman years. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they had decent post players in, in the early Lansing years with Justin Gant and, and, and Jake Kitchell and Miles Walker, um, Carl Richard. But that's not been a position of strength with this program. So it's, it's huge that they can run their offense with, uh, you know, with, with players that the opposition has to worry about in the paint. I did an interview with Jordan Barnes a couple of weeks ago for our, our website, uh, valleyhoopsinsider.com. And of course he's a St. Louis guy. And so we try to pay a lot of attention mm-hmm. to him. Uh, and he's, obviously decided to take a little bit of a backseat and become a distributor, but, but between he and Key, uh, they can really terrorize the opponent's backcourts, can't they? Absolutely, and, and you can add Christian Williams to that list as well, who's played really well lately. Um, I'm really, you know, Jordan has had a really interesting journey at Indiana State because he started out as a, as a distributor and as, in his early years, and then, you know, he became such a proficient scorer uh, by his sophomore season that, you know, his role changed a little bit uh, that season and then last year during his junior season. And, you know, I mean, if we're being honest, the league kind of figured out what he did last mm-hmm. year. He struggled in Valley play in a big way last year. And, you know, a lot of players wouldn't recover from something like that. And I think Indiana State fans ought to be uh, really appreciative of the attitude that Jordan took to this season where he was – he, you know, and he was very open with me about it and talking to me that, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do to help the team win. And a lot of players say that, but a lot of players don't do it without sacrificing your scoring, which is, you know, what most players want to do. So, uh, Jordan's, Jordan's floor game last night was outstanding. I mean, one of the reasons Indiana state's offense ran so well is because he ran it well. Um, but his attitude with, uh, you know, basically going back to being more or less a true point guard. He still scores, but um, but that's his role first. Uh, has been really influential on this team because if they see the player who was perceived as the guy last year, you know, allowing others to be the guy this year. And from a leadership point of view, that's huge because when you see your leader doing that, it makes you fall in line to do what you need to do. So. I think Jordan's influence on this team is, goes beyond his statistics, beyond his role, and uh, he, you know has a lot to do with leadership. And then, as far as Tyreek is concerned, and of course he emerged last year as their as their leading scorer. Uh, Tyreek's a different kind of personality. Um, he's more of a lead by example guy on the floor, but he's so versatile that he can handle the point if he if he has the ball. Um, obviously, he can get into the lane and and uh, get to the line. Um, Tyreek is going to terrorize you just because he's of his ability to, to, you know, create off the dribble and, and his ability to shoot. So he's just, uh, you know, he's a load in terms of how to, how to, you know, defend him. And then, and then Christian Williams lately has been handling the ball too. So, um, Indiana state in effect can put three point guards on the floor at one time. And, uh, obviously that's a big problem for opposing defenses. Well, and, and then when you look at Key and Barnes and Christian Williams, 
and then you throw in Cooper Nice, all of those guys are basically making 40% or better from deep, and so that really spreads the floor. They create a lot of problems for the opposition. Um, I want to ask you about two things about Greg Lansing. Uh, first is, is he doing anything different this year? Do you notice anything different about him beyond the beard? And I do need you to talk about the beard. Yeah. Yeah. The beard is starting to get some notice. Um, I don't know that they're doing anything drastically different apart from the fact that this offense looks different when you can put competent post players into the paint who can pass. Um, you know, I'll take last night as an example, Indiana state, um, they they were able to get a lot of mileage out of their, uh, especially early in the game, out of their drive and dish game. So Jordan Barnes or Tyree Key or Christian Williams, you know, would penetrate, draw help, and then dish to LaRavia or Trey Williams or Bronson Kessinger for an easy bucket. So they have the ability to do that, but they also have the ability to do what they've always done, which is to spread the floor, you know, basically three or four out and then have someone in the post. Indiana State has always played that game. They just haven't always played that game with somebody that you had to worry about in the post offensively. And it makes a world of difference, obviously, when teams have to collapse some help in the paint and can't guard you know, their post players one-on-one um, and get them away from the basket where they're uncomfortable to take a shot. Um, both LaRavia and Trey Williams have the ability to have a little bit more versatility in their offense and they finish better. So um, I think the offense is basically more or less as it has been. It just has that bite of, you know, more scorers on the floor who, who teams have to worry about. So it isn't always pretty. I mean, Indiana State hasn't, it's not like they've been a machine, you know, game after game, but, you know, they're usually good for about a 10 minute period where they, you know, load up on points, uh, at least a 10 minute period every game. So um, as long as their defense is up to snuff, uh, those, periods have a lot more impact than perhaps they did in the past. And then tell me about Greg's beard. What's the story there? A couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I haven't really, I haven't really gone into it with Greg on his beard because every time I've ever written about when he's grown in the past, when he's grown beards, usually it's a superstition. It, Greg is superstitious. <laughs> and, uh, I know one year he grew it because, uh, they won a game where he didn't shave. And so he decided to, uh, not shave or he wouldn't shave until they lost. Well, they ended up winning like five or six in a row. And I remember by the end of that, he was really annoyed because he doesn't like to, or I, I, I'll, I'll have to ask him, maybe he's changed his <laughs> mind. But in the past, he told me, he's like, man, I hate not shaving because he's not a beard guy. Um, so I don't know where the genesis of this beard came from. Now he was growing one to a degree during their eight game win streak earlier this year. But then I think he, you know, I, I don't keep tabs on his shaving habits, but <laughs> um, but I think he shaved it at one point during that streak. I could be wrong about that. So, not sure where the genesis of this one came from. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's he's. Uh, it's not a bad look for him. No. Uh, so. You know, maybe he'll roll with it a little bit. I don't know. I but, saw uh, I saw the post game interview a couple a couple of games ago, and I thought it looks a little scruffy. He had a shave, and then all of a sudden last night, look, no, he looks like it's a real beard. So, just thought it might yeah. be purposeful. Hey, I wanted to ask you about his contract situation. Last night after the win, our friend Mark Adams went on Twitter and said, "Hey, give him a extension right now." Is he anywhere near the end of a contract? Um, his contract runs out at the end of next season. Okay. So he's got another year to go. Um, 
I don't know. I, I think the status of that is going to be determined at the end of uh, yeah, of the season. You know, right now, uh, obviously they're playing well and it looks good for Greg. Um, I'll just give you my own personal opinion because, you know, the facts of this still have to be played out. But in my opinion, I think he certainly um, has coached his way out of any question of a coaching change at the end of the year. Again, my opinion. Um, and I don't think it makes sense for Indiana state to make a change anyway, even if things weren't, you know, if things were to suddenly turn sour, um, financially, I, I just think when, when, and if a change ever comes, uh, whether it's, um, next year into the future, whenever, um, Indiana state needs to, when they do make a coaching change at some point needs to do it correctly in the sense of having all their financial ducks in a row so they can actually pay uh, a coach at at least a somewhat competitive level, even by Valley standards. Cause he's the lowest and paid guy in the league. Am I right? He's pretty, yeah, I, I think he is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the Evansville situation is, but, um, but he's at least, you know, he's in the bottom, he's been in the bottom two. I, I think he may, he may make more than Lodich at Valpo. I don't really know that cause they're not public, but, um, anyway, he's, he's been in the bottom two for a long time. And <clears throat> so to me, it doesn't make a, even if you have donors lined up, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to even pay part of his salary and then try to pay another coach. I just don't think Indiana state has the ability to do that. So even if you wanted to make a coaching change, you're compromising your coaching change if you're worried about it. So that's my opinion. And apart from that, I think he's earned the right to, uh, continue to coach this program. So well, he's, uh, I he, think this team is one, you know, they're going to lose a few players from this year's team, but next year's team has promise with some of the players they have coming back. I think he deserves some chance and I think he's earned it. He's clearly one of my favorite guys. And, and I know you, you know, appreciate working with him as well. <clears throat> when we, when we look at the Sycamores and just a huge game for them last night and, and already as many conference wins as they had a year ago. And I was perusing the numbers. I'm a numbers geek and not good at remembering anything. So I made, you know, I made notes, but third in the league in defense, scoring margin, field goal percentage, three point percentage and turnover margin. And, and this one blew my mind, Todd Golden. They are leading the league in blocked shots in Valley play. These are what I'm talking about is only in Valley play. They're leading right. the league in blocked shots, and then they're second in assists and second in assist to turnover margin. They're doing all the right kinds of things so that they can win games. Absolutely, and you know it's funny you bring up blocked shots, and that's another thing that both Laravia and Williams have brought to the table. But ISU also has kind of collectively uh, done a really good job of, uh, and they did it against Loyola last night, of um, you know kind of collapsing their help in and so Tyreek Key will get a block shot or even Jordan Barnes I think got a block shot last night um Christian Williams has had a few they do a very good job of rim protection almost by committee and Laravia and Williams are perfectly capable of uh rim protection on their own but the team kind of takes a collective um takes it as a collective effort to uh to you know swat or alter some shots so that's something that's definitely grown in their defense. Um, and, uh, you know, they have been, you know, all season long, they've been pr had pretty low turnover totals. They, they've been very good at taking care of the ball this year. 
Um, defensively is where they've really improved recently. Um, you know, that, that their defense was kind of all over the place in the first half of the Valley season, but uh, lately that's been a lot more consistent. So you're right. Their fundamentals are looking pretty good right now. And, um, um, you know, and they've been little by little getting a little bit more consistent in their defensive fundamentals, which, um, you know, has helped them win some of these games recently. And in Valley play, only allowing 61.4 points per game. They allowed Southern Illinois only 56. They allowed Illinois State 52, Evansville 42, 39 last night against Loyola. They have put up a defensive wall in some of those games. It's pretty impressive. And I know there's uh, renovations going on at the Holman Center. Uh, What's the status of that? Will they be 100% functional next year? (laughs) Well, let's hope so. Let's he hope laughs so. at us, folks. Uh, well, you know, I, I I shouldn't do that. That's not nice. But you know, they <laughs> so so far as I know, everything is on on schedule to be done by next year. So, what's interesting is, is that the renovations have created a different kind of atmosphere at Holman Center this year because um, about a third of the arena is not accessible. Um, the south end of the arena is where most of the work is being done right now, and that's. Um, behind one of the baselines. And so the effect of that has been is that the crowds they've been getting have been more in, in, a, in a more confined space. And so the atmosphere at Holman Center has actually been a lot better this year than it has been in the past because the fans are forced to, you know, you can't spread out all over the place. So, um, you know, it's actually, there's been some games that have been pretty loud this year. When Holman Center, the design of Holman Center is not conducive necessarily to looking good on tv it usually looks bad on tv you know i mean if we're being honest i mean because the camera shoots right up into the you know most empty sections of the arena which are have the worst seats um but that place can get loud it does hold in sound and even with you know half of the place empty so it it can generate an atmosphere in there certainly it was a good atmosphere last night the team made it that way but um Slowly but surely, the students are starting to show back up. And, uh, you know, last night's win will probably do quite a bit of good for enthusiasm and, uh, and uh, you know, just general happiness among the fan base. Uh, you know, it's been a weird Valley season because they're, they're seven and four. Um, but their schedule was, you know, if I'm being fair, their schedule, their home schedule was, you know, they had the uh theoretical easier teams first so they were able to build you know a good home record although southern illinois was one of those teams they turned out to be very good um you know and so i think fans it took them a little bit of time to buy in but certainly a game like last night you know is one of those games where it turns your head so be interesting to see where the um um where the enthusiasm goes from here during the season the squad is drawing 35 Hundred a game during Valley season, thirty-seven hundred per game. But two of the last three have been over four thousand. Are those you said the the fans are slowly starting to come back? What would be a good solid attendance figure in you know thinking back to to better days at Indiana State? Well, that's yeah, you know that's that's kind of a you know a question that Indiana State fans ask themselves a lot because um, you go back way back to the bird years. And even in the, you know, you look back at old photos of the bird years and I'm not talking about just 79. I'm talking about when he was there in 78 and 77 and all that, 
you know, it really didn't become a big, big thing until 79. You know, you look back when Burt's junior year and sophomore year, and there were empty seats at Hallman Center. Um, they rode the momentum of the Bird years through the through through the 80s and still were drawing, you know, seven or 8,000 a game in that period, even though the program, you know, took a pretty big dive after that. Um, in my time, I would say, you know, they need to shoot for, and, and this takes into account the fact that college basketball attendance is down and all that, but 5,000 is what I would consider to be a decent crowd. I know for some fan bases that sounds low, um, but when you look at it, you know, they actually don't draw bad here when you take into account the per capita of Terre Haute, the fact that Indiana State's geographic fan base is really, you know, we're... Indiana University's an hour down the road. Purdue's an hour and a half. Indianapolis is an hour away. It's not like there's a huge geographic area to draw from. You know, most people in Illinois are not going to support Indiana State. There's some fans over there, but not many. Um, it's not a very big area to draw from. So, um, and Terre Haute isn't, you know, it's not a wealthy community. So you get 4,000 a game for a team that, you know, in the past was, you know, finishing below 500 the last five years. That's actually not that bad. Now, that doesn't bring money in. That doesn't do any good financially. But, um, you know, this community isn't, it's not a huge community. So uh, you get 5000 a game and you're doing pretty good, I think. Um, so we'll see if they can get there. I mean, they have three home games left, a big one against Northern Iowa um, in two weeks, not to get ahead of myself, but that's going to be a big home game potentially. So, um, you know, but it takes... You know, the fact is they've had five losing seasons in a row, and any program that has five losing seasons in a row is going to have an enthusiasm gap. So it takes some time for fans to get back into it. So I think last night's win was very important. I think the win at Missouri State, where they almost never win, was important. So in the fans' eyes, they're seeing things that they haven't seen, and that's typically when enthusiasm starts to jump because, uh, you know, you need to have your head turned, and ISU certainly turned some heads last night. Well, and, and that's what I was saying. The only two crowds all year of over 4,000, and they've been the two of the last three. So, yeah, things are they're building mm-hmm. in that regard. Two more. Uh, I'll let you go after this, Todd. Uh, two in a row coming up on the road. Tell me a little bit about how you size up the next two for the Sycamores. Well, it's going to be interesting. Well, you saw Illinois State last night, which is where they go next on Saturday, and uh, it wasn't a good night for the Redbirds. I saw Dan Muller's comments afterwards. He was disappointed. I think that's a tricky game for Indiana State because um, Illinois State is going to be motivated to play a lot better than they did uh, down in Springfield. So that's always, you know, you run into that in conference play. Sometimes you hit a team at a, at a good or a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um We'll see if it's a good or a bad time to, to visit Redbird Arena. Um, you know, certainly Indiana, I think Indiana State's a better team than Illinois State, um, and they handled them at Holman Center. Um, but that's a tricky trip, and uh, Indiana State has to maintain the defensive intensity that they had last night uh, up there at Redbird because they do have the capability, as Northern Iowa found out earlier this year, to go off on a team. So, um so that's that'd be my. It feels like a trap game, kind of, uh, to me for Indiana State. But we'll see if they're mentally strong enough to avoid. And you know, that's really the test of a contender when you can play your way out of so-called trap game type situations. Sure. So this will be a good, good experiment for the Sycamores to see if they're ready for a Redbirds team that's 
chastened and, uh, you know, wants to play better. And then they go to Bradley next Wednesday. Bradley, when they played Bradley, and one thing Indiana State has been fortunate in this year is they have caught some teams at good times. You know, when Southern came to Holman Center, uh, they didn't have Aaron Cook or Eric McGill. When Bradley came to Holman Center, they hardly had anybody. Uh, <laughs> Darryl Brown one. didn't play. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tavanainen was ruled out right before the game. Uh, they had seven players total for the Braves in that game. Obviously, Elijah Childs didn't play either. Um, so they caught them at a good time. They caught some teams with some injuries at, at key times. Um, but, hey, you know, that's the way it goes. You know, sometimes you get fortunate. And so they're going to get more of the full measure of Bradley next week um, with Daryl Brown, who's given them problems in the past. Um, that'll be a big game. I mean, they went at Bradley, and you're starting to talk about um, – you know, league title contention at that point. I mean, they, they have a lot of work to do to catch Northern Iowa. I don't know that that's in the cards, but I do think second place uh, is certainly uh, within their grasp. And if you win a game at Bradley, um, you're putting yourself in good shape. The thing is, Indiana State, their net the net rankings came out today. They're 85th. Um, you put them in a tiebreaker with almost any other Valley team and they're going to win that tiebreaker because of their net ranking. They're, Northern Iowa is the only Valley team ahead of them. So they've already beaten a lot of these teams once. Uh, they passed Loyola in the net last night, so now they have that tiebreaker. So even if Indiana State was to drop a few games, you know, as far as Valley tournament seeding is concerned, they've really put themselves in a good position. So, But obviously winning a Bradley would be a sweep, and you know that would be extremely advantageous for the Sycamores. So we'll see. I mean... They won eight in a row earlier this year, so they're capable of reeling off a streak. And um, we'll see if the tough, toughness that they've de- demonstrated, uh, uh, you know, is something that lasts. And they've won four in a row right now. Todd Golden from the Tribune Star. Tell people that are listening, how can they find your work both at the paper and on Twitter? <clears throat> Twitter is uh, at Tribstar Todd, and then um, at the paper it's uh, Tribstar.com and. Uh, I'll be. I have a podcast too now, which is amateurish compared to what you do, Harry. But, oh yeah, um, right. <laughs> no, it really it, it is. But um, so I've been doing that. I've down. I do down in the valley after each game, um, and then of course the regular preview and game coverage. So uh, I appreciate anybody who drops in, and and uh, I appreciate doing the podcast, Harry. A lot of fun, Todd. We will catch up when you get to St. Louis. But we wanted to follow up on those sycamores, and we appreciate your time this afternoon. All right, great. Thanks for having me. All righty, that's Todd Golden of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. Those sycamores are tearing up the Missouri Valley right now. You've been listening to the Valley Hoops Insider podcast right here on valleyhoopsinsider.com.